But hey, I really want to challenge you today. The, the verse we read right at the beginning, Philippians 2, 5, have this attitude in you, which is also in Christ. It kind of took me on a journey through scriptures about figuring out Christ's attitudes about things. And uh, Christ has an attitude uh, about a number of things that, I, that we're supposed to adopt. So today we're going to talk about, we're going to preach about sin a little bit. And let me just tell you, when I was growing up, I grew up here in Mobile, Alabama. My parents owned a restaurant. They owned a restaurant down in Crichton for a long time, way back before any of y'all were uh, eventually moved out to Overlook and had Overlook shop in the Overlook shopping center, the little corner of it. They had a, a restaurant there, and uh, my mom grew up in a, a, a holiness church and with a real strong. Her mother, my grandmother, uh, Grandma Rachel, was just really strong in her faith, and she couldn't read or write. Didn't stop her carrying a Bible to church every Sunday, and sitting in a little church in, in Crichton with the Bible in her lap and a hymnal in her lap like she was reading it. Um, but she kept me and my two brothers um, on each side of her. My mom and dad were at the restaurant every Sunday, but my grandma had made sure the grandbabies were in church and next to her, and she, she would point to Bible verses and stuff. She didn't know what she was pointing to. We could read better than she could. But it didn't matter because she knew the Bible was going to change our lives. But somewhere in all of their growing up theology, had a couple of weird things. My, 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 my mother believed, my grandmother believed, if you wash clothes on... New Year's Day, you wash clothes on New Year's Day, some relatives going to die. I don't know why, but we were never allowed to wash clothes on New Year's Day. You ever heard that? Yeah. It used to freak us out at our house because I was like, oh my gosh, whatever you don't wash those clothes. What if they mess them up? Anyway, so, kind of a weird thing. So, but, but they also had this, this, my mother would not allow us to use the word hate. No matter what in my family, you could not hate anybody or anything. And it was like, you might as well have been saying the worst foul word you could think of in my home, and I have a very, I grew up in a very strict home with a real godly mom and a military father um, that was World War II uh, deal, and he was just tough as nails, and so you just weren't allowed to say the word hate, and I remember all my life being chastened for hating anything. If I said, I, you know, oh, I hate those thorns on that bush when I'd be picking stuff, and I'd get thorns in my hands, picking stuff out of the garden. I just hate it when that happens. And mom said, no, you don't hate it. I'm like, mom, it's a thorn in my hand. No, you can't hate anything. She was afraid if I had hate in my heart, you know, that God wouldn't accept me anymore. Some of them in her theology got that whole hate in your heart thing really strong. And uh, she never got the, she didn't see the grace in some of that. I think she's with the Lord now, been there since 2000. And so she's got it all figured out. And uh, But we weren't allowed to say hate. And one night when I was in high school, sitting in the living room, I was walking through the living room where my dad was watching the late news, the, the Manson murders were on the news. They were describing all the things that had happened and that they captured him and all this. And, and I just remember walking through there thinking I was talking to myself quietly under my breath. I said, oh, I hate that man. And my mom, out of the back room of the house, like way down the hall, so I don't know how her radar heard all that. I thought she was in bed. She just came tearing down the hall, and I mean lectured me, and she's a little scrawny lady with a pointy finger, and she's just you know, telling this high school, don't you ever, you can't ever hate anybody. No, man, he murdered people in cold blood. It was terrible. Don't you hate, you can't hate anybody. It was real, like, red-faced mom, real intense. And uh, so I kind of grew up with that being my life. You don't hate anything or anybody. And I went away to Bible college in Birmingham, and I was, I'm from North, my home church is where I grew up at, by the way. I came back here as a grown up um, to pastor my own church that I grew up in. But uh, but I went away to Bible college in Birmingham and we stayed up there for about 22 years in ministry and, 
had our family up there and all, but I met my wife at Bible college, and her name's Annette Hathaway. And at uh, some point, we took a trip from college to see her family in eastern North Carolina, like 10 million miles from here in my book. I'd never driven further than Birmingham, so that trip took forever. We, drove, we started at like 10.30 at night and drove all night long, and you know, somewhere in the early morning hours of daylight, we finally got into eastern North Carolina and got to her house, and, and I met her family. My nose started bleeding six minutes before the house. I'm a, I'm a, I have a nosebleed thing that happens every once in a while, so don't freak out if it happens to you. Uh, never happened when I was preaching, thank God. But, but, uh, but I'm six minutes from my, in, my, you know, this. I'm meeting this family that I really love, this girl, and we're talking about a lot of things in the future and all that, and I'm going to go meet him, and I'm going to go, <laughs> so, so it's really weird, but when I finally, when I finally uh, get to spend a week with them there, we had a week off from school, and in, in that little town, just like most little towns around here, you know, the, the new kid from Birmingham that's dating the really awesome daughter is coming into town. So we got all the relatives over and in-laws and out. I mean, everybody wants to come see this, you know, whoever this guy is that's got, you know, Annette Hathaway's attention. She's this, you know, gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful, brilliant, very intelligent girl that's gone away to college from a little small town. And here's this guy that's, you know, who is this guy? So, I mean, we're just having relatives over all the time. And they had this big cookout one day where we're going to cook for everybody in town to come see, you know, me, which was terrifying. And, uh, and I'm trying to help. I'm a helper. I like helping, serving. And so I'm trying to help. And I remember Mr. Hathaway wanted to cut the grass first thing that morning. And I said, hey, I'm really good at that. So, uh, you know, if you just show me the mower, we'll get it going. We get out there, and he's going to pull start his little push mower. And, uh, and he pulls on it four or five times, and it won't start. You know, mowers are just irritate the daylights out of you. Well, and this little gruff retired Navy man, about this high, you know, just in the gruffest, meanest voice, says, oh, I hate this lawnmower when it does that. I'm like, tinker with it, you know, I'm trying to get rescued the mower from him. He looks really angry, you know. And so we eventually get it sputtering and it starts and, and I help him cut the grass. And a little while later Miss Hathaway comes home, she'd worked half a day. She comes home and she wants to put tablecloths, they have two picnic tables out back and uh, she wants to put tablecloths on them with clips and uh, it's a beautiful day. Spring day eastern North Carolina. The sky's bright, bright blue and the wind's just right. It's one of those days where it's just, just the right temperature in if you're standing out in the sun, it's just the right temperature. If you're in the shade, it's a little too cool, and you get kind of a little chill. And uh, I remember helping Miss Hathaway, sweet Miss Hathaway, put this tablecloth around this table. We're trying to keep the wind from blowing off. We're getting all anchored, and just about the time we're doing that, this little cloud up in the sky about that big passed over the sun, like in between the sun and us, and it chilled the air for just 10 seconds. Just one of those, you know, well, that's cool. Kind of thing. And I remember her looking up and going, oh, I hate it when clouds do that. She hates clouds. <laughs> I'm not allowed to hate Charles. She hates clouds. Oh, okay, sorry. Then I go inside and Mr. Hathaway's helping with the food and all. He used to cook a lot and do little things. And, and he's made this bowl of chocolate pudding, this giant bowl of chocolate pudding out of one of his things that he would do. But the pudding itself, you know, when you make chocolate pudding and you put it in the refrigerator... It gets that dark film on top that kind of freaks you out a little bit. Freaks him out a lot. And uh, it's got that dark film on there. It's like, do we stir that in? Do we eat that? Is that bad? Is it good? Is it supposed to do that? Kind of thing. Remember, you know how that is when you're at a restaurant? And you go, I don't know if that's right. It's supposed to look like that. Kind of thing. So, so he, I pull the bowl out because he asked me to get it out for him. I, I hand it to him, big glass bowl. And he was so angry when he 
popped it down. I thought he broke the glass, but he banged it down on the counter. He goes, I hate it when Putin does that. I'm like, what is wrong with this family? They hate clouds and pudding. I'm not allowed to hate people. And I'm like, I'm married into the Manson family. That's what it is. These people are the Manson family. And it was really freaky weird for me for a while. And and I had to kind of I had to kind of put all that aside and get to know them, you know, and realize, okay, that's just kind of their dialect here. Your family's a little weird. So we we rock along, you know, and eventually we get married and I do remember the first time I watched. See, my wife didn't say that in Birmingham. She's with college kids and her college peers and kind of had a whole new dialect that started here in, Bur- in Birmingham or there in Birmingham. And so it wasn't really in her natural dialect to talk about it that way. But then we had kids and uh, Terrible Two over here. Josh, um, one of his favorite things to do in, in our living room, uh, we had this really cool entertainment center. We had our 13-inch black and white television. Uh, that's this big, by the way, 13-inch black and white television on a chair in the corner of our living room of my first entertainment center was a chair. It was a high-back chair with a wicker bottom, and and it sat in the corner, and Josh, at toddler two, loved to run over and slap the screen, make a little tink sound his hands hit the screen. But then the whole chair would tilt back and hit the wall and come right back to it. So it was like, hey, look, it goes there, and then it comes right back of course, it terrifies us because it's like, hey, it's going to fall on him eventually, then we're going to have more problems. So, so we would discipline him for it. But at some point, I guess that day, he had irritated his mother to death. And uh, Josh has uh, two siblings, a, a brother and a sister that are 16 months and 19 months right behind him. So Annette's got, you know, terrible two, one-year-old, and then baby in arms. And I come in from church that day in Birmingham. I come in from church, and Josh apparently has been doing this thing for a while to his mother's <laughs> Chagrin, and and she she says out loud when I walk in the door because I see it in her face. I'm like, is everything okay? And I mean, her face is girl, like Mr. Hathaway face. And I'm looking at her going, and she goes, Oh, I hate him when he does that. My heart went, Whoa, hey, t- rescue the kids from you know wicked witch. Here we go. So, <laughs> that's all about that, kids. You know, and I've got the baby and everybody outside. And I'm like, Hey, you just you just take some time there, you know. You do something inside and calm down. So, but it was interesting because when we put the kids in bed that night, I said, hey, let me just rewind the tape for a minute and just talk. You know, you use that word hate and Josh in the same sentence. Not okay with me. In my dictionary, growing up in Mobile, that word was four-letter red. I mean, it was off the charts, set off alarms, have police come arrest you for saying that. In, in your family... Seems to be like clouds and pudding. So I, get, so I get that you probably didn't mean it like I think you did, but it, it upset me that you said it about him. So we're going to have to write a dictionary just for us, which we have, we've kind of worked through that in our lives and and uh, kind of figured that out. It's something I teach with the marriage seminar I do, that everybody has different dictionaries. You have no idea. Somebody tells you they love you, ladies. When a guy tells you he loves you, you have no idea what he means because he tells people he loves his dog and his truck. Okay? Now you're hoping... He loves you more than dog and truck. But you cannot know that until you spend a ton of time learning his dictionary. Not, anyway, that's, that's a whole other sermon. So, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The word hate doesn't get used a lot among Christians, and yet I found it in the Bible a bunch, okay? Because God absolutely hates sin. It's interesting because we don't think we're supposed to hate, and yet here's God all through the Scriptures. I'm just going to load you up with a bunch of them in a second on that handout. He says, hate sin. I mean, hate, 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 
So, so look at your handouts real quick. Let me just run you through. Psalm 97.10 Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the soul of His godly ones. Hate evil, right? Psalm 101, 1-5 says, I will sing your loving kindness and justice, O Lord. I will give heed to the blameless ways when you come to me. I will walk within my house. I will walk within my house in integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my heart, before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. Hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, I will destroy no one. Who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. Proverbs 6, 16. Listen to this. And if my mama was here, I'd love to just go, Mama, I've all grown up now, and I figured out God hates things, so the word hate ain't that bad. So I just fixed mama on this. There are six things which the Lord hates, Proverbs 6. Six things which he hates, and then he just lists them. Yea, even seven which are an abomination to him. God hates haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, ooh, feet that run rapidly to evil, and a, a liar, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among the brothers. You stir up a church, find you a good local church, but don't get in there and stir stuff up now. Tell them. I've been a pastor a long time, and I am sick and tired of people who stir stuff up in church just to make a mess. And then they leave. You go, stop doing that. God hates that. He hates it, right? Proverbs 8 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil ways and the perverted mouth. I hate. God hates a perverted mouth. Here's a verse nobody ever references in your life. Uh, probably never heard a good sermon out of the book of Amos, have you? Amos? <laughs> Amos 5, 14. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. And thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said, Amos 5.15. Hate evil, love good, establish justice at the gates. It means hang out with the just and make sure people are doing just. But hate evil, not just don't like it, don't turn, a, don't turn an apathy heart toward it, hate it. Hate, 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 loathe entirely. Luke 16. It's talking about the Pharisees who were lovers of money. They heard all these things. They ridiculed Jesus. And he said, you are those who justify yourselves before men. Now listen to this. But God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You know what an abomination is? Something he hates. He just said it in the Old Testament. I hate these things. They're abominable. Luke 11, 37. Jesus is talking to a Pharisee, and uh, all the way down to verse 45, he says, one of the lawyers says, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. Jesus is talking to these uppity religious people who think they know everything because they got all these Old Testament verses memorized, and they, they, they pretend to practice them, but in their heart, listen, in their heart, there's tons of evil that has got a hold of them. And Jesus says, Woe to you lawyers, for you load people down with burdens that are too hard to bear, and you're not willing to, to even raise one finger uh, to do the burden yourself. So we need to be people who 
hate sin. Now the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, this is important. The Bible says, and we read these verses from Romans, says all have sinned, right? And Paul says it is the sin that is within me that is my problem. So I have something in me that I need to hate. Now I, I love helping teach people about uh, self-esteem and learning how to view yourself in God's eyes. Because God sees you as an amazing potential and beautiful at every level when you surrender your heart to Him. If you do not surrender your heart to Him, your heart is full of evil. So He sees you on the other side of that formula. Okay? And He wants you to change. And He created a, a place and a way for you to change, which is the cross of Christ. He made it possible for you to become beautiful even, it actually says in the Old Testament, for, for you to rise from the ashes and there to be beauty from ashes. Why does that happen? It happens at the cross, right? But the Bible says, My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Romans 7, 11, Paul says, Sin deceived me and, and tricked me and destroyed me. Paul, the apostle, says, Sin in me deceived me. But then he says, But it's not me that did the sin. It's the sin in me because God is doing a new work in me. So he knows... Inside himself, there's this battle raging. He doesn't have to hate himself because he failed. He has to trust God to walk forward. Actually, that whole section in Romans is pretty powerful where Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I, I don't need to do, I keep doing. I hate it when I do that. And he says, who can deliver me from this body of sin? Who can deliver me? And then he turns and says, Christ can. Christ can. That's awesome, isn't it? So, but not only do we need to hate sin... So everybody look at your neighbor and say, you should hate sin. Look at your neighbor. You should hate sin. I mean, really hate it. You need to hate sin. And I mean, get seriously hated. Because when you hate something, it makes a difference. When you just disapprove of it, you're like, oh yeah, well, whatever. Right? But when you hate something, you're like, hey, we got to figure out how to stop that. I don't like that happening anymore. But we also need, the Bible says we need to fight sin. Here's the verses on fight sin. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Put on the full armor of God so you can withstand the fiery missiles of Satan. This is what it says in the verse. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. When you fight against sin, you don't need to be fighting in your power. You have no power to beat Satan. You have no power to beat your own temptations. By the way, your flesh is much... You, you, y'all know this really well. Your flesh is much stronger than you wish it was in some categories. And you lose to it all the time. You can't talk yourself out of some things, but the power of God can, and the Spirit of God can give you guidance and wisdom and instruction and help to do that. So it says, be strong in the Lord and in the power, power of His might. Okay? And it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Um, put on the full armor so you'll be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and against world forces of darkness. Man, that sounds terrible. World forces of darkness are attacking us. I promise you, ladies, if you're if you're serious in your walk here at the home of grace, if you're serious about getting in touch with God and having a life that's centered around Him, and you want to put Christ first and exalt Him as a priority, beloved friend Jack Skinner, 76 year old mentor, Jack is here, uh, and uh, Jack Jack's walked with the Lord a long time, and he just lives up in trials. It's just, his life is just trial filled. And I look at him going, so my future is trial He goes, yep, that is. That's what it's going to be. Because the enemy wants to steal away your joy. And he wants to steal away your help and your hope. 
Right? So we have to fight against it. Actually, when, when Paul tells the Ephesians to put on the armor, that's not, hey, put on the armor and just stand there. It's no, put on the armor and fight against sin. Then he goes on and he tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 6, Paul says, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Just knock it out, buddy. Come on. Get serious. You need to fight against sin. You don't need to be passive about sin or just like, oh, well, I don't know how to do this. I hear all these pitiful, pitiful excuses in my office uh, when I'm helping people. And I've had them. I know where they're coming from. You just don't want to, you don't have to gutsy up and make it happen. But the truth is, sin destroys people's lives. I mean, destroys it. And so when sin is crouching at your door and sin is trying to harm you, you got to put on some armor, dig your heels in the ground like a soldier and say, hey, you're not coming in today, buddy. You're not messing with me and my family today. Fight against sin. You have to wear your spiritual armor and fight against sin. If I told you when you left this building, I said, hey, I saw some really rough-looking ladies over there the other day. We used to have at our church. We used to have a roller derby game. Um, I saw some roller derby ladies over here, and they just called somebody's name, one of your names out, and they said, hey, when she gets out of here, we're just going to beat the tar out of her. Where's your man? We're just going to take her out of the thing and beat her to death. Would you just walk out there real casually? No. You're going to take friends with you. You're going to bring a baseball bat. You're going to fight. You're going to, hey, I'm not going to just roll over for this. But spiritually, listen, spiritually there's a real enemy, world forces of darkness, and Satan himself wants to take you out, and we just kind of roll over that and go, well, I don't know what to do. Don't do that. Please fight against sin. And then thirdly, this is what the Bible says, we need to kill sin. Jesus killed sin on the cross. He killed sin on the cross. Listen to this verse in Romans chapter 6. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. How shall we... Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's a weird question for Paul to ask. He actually asked it twice in the same chapter, Romans 6. And here's why he asked that. The Roman church was full of Greeks, people from Greece. And the Greeks had this hoo-hoo party thing, you know, the whole toga party and all that. It's where it came from. Those guys are big partiers. <laughs> the Greeks just loved to sin in every possible way. And in the previous verses of this, Romans chapter 5, verse 19, 20, 21, Paul is teaching the Romans where sin abounds, where sin expands, and if the word abounds is like a, a river that floods out of its banks. It washes up into the shoreline. Where sin grows and abounds, he says in the next verse, listen to this, grace, grace that covers our sins by God, grace superabounds. And it means grace is always greater than sin. Isn't that cool? Grace is always greater than sin. And so then he looks at the Romans and he goes, hey, but, why? Because the, the, the Greeks in that culture who love sin, they love sin. And they're trying, they're trying to get their lives right with Jesus and all that. They're going to a little Roman church and Paul helps start. So here's the deal, though. They go in and they go, so let me get this straight. This is their thing. Get this. If, if when I sin, there has to be a lot of grace to cover me, the more I sin, the more grace there is. So by sinning, I'm creating grace. And Paul goes, stop thinking. What are you thinking like that for? That's not how that works at all. Actually, grace should stop you from sinning because you've been shown so much grace you don't want to offend the one who gave you the grace. So that's why he has this verse that says, how shall we, he says, um, 
Are we to continue in sin that grace could abound? In other words, if I keep on sinning, I get more grace, right? No, you got all the grace you need and way more than you need. Grace more abundant, he actually says to Timothy. So he says, by no means, God forbid, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And he teaches in Romans 6 that when Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross for your sins and my sins, and then when I trust Christ as my Savior, His death covered all my sins, and He died for my sins, so my sins are dead. Boy, they don't feel dead, do they? You know why? Because I have a little set of jumper cables. Okay? It's called my flesh. I like to take my jumper cables out sometimes and go to my sin nature and go, let me see if I can bring that back to life, because that felt good. Right? And I like, to, I, like to, I like to wake up my sin nature that Jesus killed on the cross. I like to wake up my sin nature with a set of jumper cables and get it, get it revved up a little bit so I can do what I want to do and then I can get forgiveness because there's grace. I can get forgiveness and I'll go back here and I'll take the cables off. Okay, back in grace. Paul's going, don't do that anymore. You died to sin. Keep it dead. Keep it dead. Keep it dead. Colossians chapter 3. Here's what Paul tells the church at Colossae. Colossians 3, verse 5. There's a whole bunch... If, listen to this verse, because there's a whole bunch of translations of it. I'm going to read it from the uh, ESV, and then I'll tell you a couple of those. The English Standard Version says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he lists a whole bunch of grocery lists of sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he goes on to list more down later. He says, people who... Uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, bad words you shouldn't say in front of your grandmother, obscene talk from your mouth, do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with its practices. So the first part of that 3.5, this will be a verse you memorize. Colossians 3.5. Put to death what is earthly in you. Okay, the, the, in the King James it says mortify. I saw somebody with a King James Bible over a minute ago. Mortify. That's where we get mortician from. What's a mortician do? Well, he, you know, he, whatever's dead, he makes sure it stays dead and puts it in a box so it stays dead. Mortify your old nature. Put it to death. Jesus killed it on the cross. You have to, and the, the original Greek word here means render it powerless. you got to not jump or cable it. you got to take the power away from it. The scriptures teach you a ton of ways to do that. Okay, so I'm going to just give you a couple of examples. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 11. How can a young man keep his ways pure? By guarding it according to your word. How am I going to stay pure, God? How am I going to stop sinning? By your word. By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I'm going to seek you. So I wander not from your commandments. I have stored up. The, the original word means I've treasured. Old King James says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I have treasured your word in my heart, so I'll stop sinning. You know what the easiest way to stop sinning is? And by the way, we're supposed to hate, 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 double hate, loathe entirely sin. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to fight it, and Jesus killed it so we can kill it now. You know how you do that? With the word of God. You have to be able to put the word of God in place on top of whatever your temptation is. It's what Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. He was tempted and he quoted, Satan quoted scripture to him and he just quoted the whole verse. He goes, hey, you missed part. Let me finish that for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he quoted scripture all through going, nope, 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 done. That's how you beat sin is with the word of God. And you have to be daily 
mortifying your sin. There's this great quote. Not to be daily mortifying, killing sin is to sin against the goodness, the kindness, the wisdom, the grace, and the love of God. If you don't take sin very seriously and try to destroy it in your life, he's saying, you know what, you're not serious about the kindness, the grace, and the love of God who's furnished us with the principles of doing it. He's given us ways to do it. And if you don't take it serious, you're ignoring the goodness of God. If you're not resisting or fighting against sin, all forms of sin in your life, sins of omission and commission, and you're not caring, then the cross, listen, then the cross doesn't mean enough to you. It just doesn't. And I, I recommend everybody I know in Jesus spend a ton of time at the cross. Just spend a ton of time reading about it, thinking about it, meditating on it, envisioning it, seeing that you're the one that was really supposed to be there and He did it for you. You're supposed to have scars in your hands and you're supposed to have all that flesh torn off and you're supposed to have all the the punches in the face and the beard torn. You're supposed to have all that pain He suffered was yours. But you don't have scars on your back. You don't have scars in your hand. You don't have a, a spear pierced through your side. He does for you. And I think it's important that we, we recognize that and choose to die and then kill the sin. Now, let me give you four little quick notes just to end with. They're not on your notes here at all. We live in a culture today. I study, I study our culture a ton. It's freaking me out how bad our culture's gotten. And I'm trying to figure out how to help. Okay, all you millennials. Got millennials over here. Got three millennials in my house. So I'm trying to figure out how to help the millennials come up in a better better environment than, than is in our culture right now. We live in a culture that loves to flirt with sin. Yeah. Loves to. And, and we live in a culture that says, hey, if, this, if you're saying, I, I see Christians do this. If you're saying this is wrong, I'm not supposed to go over this line. You know what Christians do? Well, then, is it okay if I stand right here? Well, no, if this is wrong, you don't stand right there. Stand over here. People do it all the time. This is a question that comes in my office all the time. Okay? People come and go, especially young people, they come and go, hey, we're thinking about going to see that movie. They say, you know that movie's out by so-and-so? We're thinking about going to see that. Do you think that'd be okay? You know what I say to them? Why are you asking me? Do you need, do you need a pastoral approval to go see a movie? If you do, I guess you can be thinking Just say it. What you want to do is go, hey, the line's right here. I'm going to just lean over the line as far as I can. Stop. If you're even thinking you need to get spiritual permission to go see a movie that could be questionable, go back over here. Right? Resist sin. Fight sin. And run from it. Joseph ran from sin. So we need to have a, this mindset that I'm not going to flirt with sin. We live in a culture that loves to rename sin. You know that? They're renaming it all the time now. Oh my gosh, the bless their hearts, the LGBT QRZMYLPO yeah, CRAZY group. Um, that that group of people, they love renaming every kind of immorality there is. And it's all just biblically immorality. It's sin. No matter what you rename it, it's sin. You know, the people that 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 you know push this. Uh, all for women and all for children, but hey, we, we love to abort children. Well, that's murder. It's just murder. Plain and simple. It's just murder. You can rename it anything nice you want to, and at the end of the day, a beating heart of a child stops. At the end of the day, that's exactly what happens. And God gives grace. I have some good friends that have gone through abortions, and God gives grace to heal them through that and set them free from their past and their pain of all that, but it is still sin. It, it 
needs to be needs to be thought of as sin, and we need to go. Hey, I'm not going to rename that. I'm not going to rethink it. I hate it. I absolutely hate sin. We live in a culture that that loves to. They don't just rename sin, but they they celebrate and encourage sin. You know that a lot of college professors now are trying to get their students to actually be active in all kinds of different groups. My son does all this research. He has a blog page. He writes all this crazy stuff, um, spiritual stuff and, and cultural stuff. But he has this page where he talks about these these elementary schools where if a child where, where the counselors in the elementary school are telling children, elementary children, you can decide what gender you are. What? I'm sorry, you're you're an X and a Y or an X. I mean, you, your your chromosomes don't change no matter what you feel or think about yourself. If you have an operation, your chromosomes don't ever change, okay? Your chromosomes are still, as God created you, Creator said there's X and there's XY, and that's how that's going to work forever. Until Jesus comes back, that's how that's going to work. And then in heaven there is none of that. So, But here, He made us that way. But there are these counselors now, and He wrote these articles about it, it blew my mind. There's these counselors now where a student, an elementary student, can come into an office and begin to have a conversation, and they can, they can tell them, if you choose to be a... You're a little boy and you want to be a little girl. You can be a little girl and you can go to little girl's bathrooms. You can go to little girl's changing rooms or whatever because that's what you want to be. That's that's how that's how you feel, baby. That's how you feel. Now listen, here's the crazy part. The counselor doesn't, and the teachers don't even have to tell the parents that that's what's happening. Nobody has to tell them that. You know why? Because we live we live in a culture. We live in a culture that not only flirts with sin, but it actually encourages sin now, and it's dangerous. And we need to hate that sin. My son writes about it and tries to get a bunch of people following him so that they'll get started about it. We'll keep legislation from passing that that's all okay and we'll actually you know, have some of those people sent out of their school districts or whatever. But it, it's, it's serious. We live in a culture that mocks people who still call sin, sin. We live in a culture that mocks people who still call sin, sin. One of the articles he wrote about was a, a man that worked for a CrossFit, which is a training, like a gym thing. He worked for CrossFit and... CrossFit was going to have a gay pride day, and they pulled it at the last minute for whatever reason. They decided to pull it. And when they did, this guy that worked for him, who's a Christian, said, you know, he tweeted on his personal tweet, he tweeted that he thought that was a good plan, something about the fact that he thought, you know, that was wrong anyway. Sin. He got fired for just saying he thought that was sin, you know, and that they shouldn't honor those kind of things. He got fired. And there's tons of those stories out there. Tons of them. He's, he's right to talk about them. There's tons of that out there. We live in a culture that doesn't do what we just said we need to do, which is hate sin, fight sin, and kill and destroy sin. That's what we're supposed to be doing, but our culture says no, no, no. You need to be tolerant of that. You need to let that go. You need to be peaceful and loving. Wow. Jesus doesn't say that at all. He said, I'm going to go to a cross and kill sin for you so you can stand strong in your purity and your freedom of it, and I'd like you to stay that way. Amen? Yeah. 